Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters, from our Lord Jesus Christ in the United Methodist Church of Uniontown. I am Vicar Derek Kabilis, and I have a sermon for you today. Today's sermon was preached on August 11th, 2019, and there are two scripture passages that accompany it, which I will read for you now. The first one comes from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Our second passage is from Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out in unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Today's sermon is called Little Lambs. I hope it blesses you. I wish to preach to you today from the title Little Lambs. Little Lambs. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In seminary, I was taught that the first rule of preaching is never talk about your own personal romantic escapades. (laughs) 
so let's just say there's this guy I know. <clears throat> a number of years ago, he took this girl out on a date to the North Carolina State Fair, just outside of Raleigh. Now, to any outside observer, it would have looked like this was one of the all-time best dates ever. Everything was perfect. All the little rituals that, that tell us a date is going well were there. All the bells and whistles. She smiled at him as he opened the car door for her. They shared a, a funnel cake on the midway. He won her a, a pink monkey by throwing a baseball at some bowling pins. There was laughter, and there were stolen glances into each other's eyes. They played with the sheep in the livestock barn. All the little boxes were checked. All the pieces were in place. And as they stared out into the golden dusk horizon from the top of the Ferris wheel, they held hands. And the magical feeling between them was almost palpable. When they got back on the ground and started walking toward their car, she pulled him close in the cold November air, and then something odd happened. They saw a sign lit up on the midway. Freak animals, it said. Fifty cents. No photographs. Come on, let's, let's go see the freak animals, she said. Oh, I don't, I don't really want to go see the freak animals, he said. What about over there, the world's largest bear? He's kind of a freak, right? Let's go see him. No, that's not a freak. What's wrong? Are you scared? Come on, let's go. So the happy couple handed the attendant a dollar and walked inside the tent. At first, it was exactly what you might expect a tent like that at a state fair to be. There were glass jars with different creatures kept in formaldehyde in them. There was a two-headed snake, a 12-legged spider, a squirrel with two tails, stuff like that. But then, past all the jars, there was a little pen. And standing there was this little skinny sheep. It was a lamb that had evidently been born with two extra legs, both of which hung lifelessly at his side, hooves and all. The young woman buried her head in his shoulder. Oh, gross, she said. Come on, let's get out of here. Well, hold on, said the man. Don't you want to pet him like you pet the other sheep? Sick, no, I don't want to touch him. Let's just go. Yeah, but it's not like he has a disease. It's not like you're going to catch anything by petting him. He doesn't look mean. He was just born that way. Can we just go, she said. And so they left. And as they got in the car and started driving home, 
the young man tried to focus on how great an evening it was. He tried to focus on all those little rituals, all those bells and whistles that should have made the night great. But all he could think about was how she had acted toward that little lamb. He couldn't get past the callousness of her attitude. And for some reason that even he didn't understand, he was shocked and offended by the way she acted toward that poor little lamb. And they never saw one another ever again. A similar thing is happening in the Old Testament lesson that Marty read for you today. You see, six or seven hundred years before Christ, the temple in Jerusalem was in full swing. It was the centerpiece of worship in all of Israel, and everyone in the whole country had to come to that very spot to make their burnt offerings to God, and it was magnificent. It was an enchanted place, this, this massive building. At the time of its construction, probably the largest in the whole world, towering in the sky. There were these huge fires where the priests made burnt offerings of, of bulls and lambs to God. The courts of the temple continually rang with the, the harmony of the psalms being sung. The aroma of incense filled the whole structure with an intoxicating fog of righteousness. The, the, the priests were carefully chosen and, and, and dressed in, in pure white in golden robes. All the prayers were said precisely in exactly the right time of day. All the rituals that made the relationship between God and Israel were there. All the bells and whistles. It was like magic was happening. But even though all the rituals were in place, even though the outward appearance of things seemed beautiful, deep in the background some there, something was wrong. And it took the prophet Isaiah to explain why the relationship between God and Israel was broken. Trample my courts no more. God says through the prophet, bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals. Can, can you hear the exasperation in the words. Your, your new moons and appointed festivals, like on and on and on, God seems to be saying. Here, speaking through Isaiah, God is frustrated with God's people and all their worship, all their hard work, all their praise and rituals seems to mean nothing to him. Even though you make many prayers, he says, I will not listen. But why? I cannot endure 
solemn assemblies with iniquity, he says. Iniquity. That's one of those words that you hear, especially in church, all the time, but no one is ever really quite sure exactly what it means. Literally, inequity means unequality. Inequity inequity isn't just difference. It is stratification. It's about some people being on the top, and others being on the bottom. Inequity is, is, is about a, a, a social pyramid, about the haves and the have-nots. And in our parlance today, it's about classism. When, when the rich are rich and powerful and, 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 and the poor are weak and poor and there's a, a wall of callousness and judgment and disregard that is set between them. Inequity is what happens when those who are supposedly God's people, like that young lady at the fair, allow themselves to be repulsed by weakness, disgusted by difference, or offended by lowliness. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not one of those sermons where the preacher bashes ritual or acts like there's something wrong with the word religion, because there isn't. No, the the worship in the temple was an abomination to God, not because ritual is somehow bad, but because the worshipers were callous toward the needs of those who were more vulnerable when they were, when all their rituals were pointing toward living lives of greater empathy and compassion. I wonder if you've ever had a similar experience. If you've ever felt that same tension, the the tension between worship that warms the heart and callousness that chills the soul. A church I used to serve sat on the same block as three or four other large churches. And it was right near the highway. And in the summertime, homeless folks would come and and camp out by the on and off ramps to the highway, hoping to catch the attention of the churchgoers. Now, they didn't have blinking signs that said anything like, freak animals. They had signs on cardboard that said things like, help, no work, trying to feed my family. And and, and, and some of the folks, not all of the folks, but some of the folks at church would complain to no end uh, about those people out there holding those signs, about how they were taking advantage of them just as they were coming out of church. Uh, Of course, when when, when they had just learned these lessons about generosity and, and, and empathy, like, like, like they were taking advantage of, of, of the church's teaching on the poor. They would say things about how they, they probably all secretly drove a Lexus or a Mercedes, if you've ever heard that one. Or about how they, they never wanted to give them money because certainly they would just spend it all on drugs anyway. 
And I remember feeling that tension, that same sickening feeling I felt back in that tent all those years ago, where we just had this terrific worship service, where all the rituals were there, all the bells and whistles were in place, yet there was a callousness toward little lambs born under unfortunate circumstances. So as someone who has worked with the homeless, as someone who has ate with them, and been to my fair share of tent camps by railroad tracks, and as someone who is literally paid to tell you the truth, let me do my job and say that the idea that the poor are swindlers that they spend everything that they're given on drugs, that they are violent and dangerous, all these things are lies from the pit of hell. They are the collective rationalizations of a society that disregards its poor and judges those who find themselves unable to produce with the rest of us. And that's the crazy thing about it. That even though we Christians follow this guy who went around saying things like, Judge not, lest ye be judged. Over and over again, we collectively make the judgment that because someone is poor, because someone is dirty, because they don't have a home of their own, there must be something morally wrong with them. We make that judgment that they deserve to be poor, that they deserve to be homeless. Because the opposite of that judgment is that we somehow deserve everything that we have. But actually, when you look at the statistics between the drug use of homeless folks and the drug use of suburban households, there's no difference at all. Or if you compare the violence that happens out on the streets to the unreported cases of child and spousal abuse in neighborhoods just like our own, you see that each one of us is far more likely to be assaulted by a family member than a random poor person who comes to us asking for a dollar. But then amidst all the judgment In inequity of Israel, God says one more thing. God says, your sins are like scarlet, but they shall be white like snow. They are red like crimson, but they shall become like wool. See, it it isn't just that the poor are little in helpless lambs. The point is that we are all little and helpless lambs. That it's only the dirt that's caked up over our fur that convinces us that we are something somehow better than a lamb, something stronger, healthier, or wealthier. But when we allow God to cleanse us, when when we give up 
and, and, and when we turn our lives over to the transformational power of the Holy Spirit, when we allow that Spirit to break off the mud and comb out the mats and pick out the fleas, when we allow ourselves to be a blessing to the poor, a blessing to the oppressed, a blessing to the weak and to the different, it's then that we realize the truth of the matter. We are all sheep who rely on the grace of a merciful shepherd to feed us and care for us and take care of us. Even though we were all born under unfortunate circumstances, even though we were all born with a certain kind of birth defect we Christians call sin. You know what struck me about the sheep on that cool November night? It was the way that little lamb just stood there. I've seen animals get embarrassed before. I know what that looks like after a dog gets a bad haircut or does something wrong and you call them out on it. I know that animals, just like people, know when people are staring at them, when people are mocking them. I know animals feel embarrassed. But this sheep, with this terrible birth defect, just stood there. Not in a proud way so much as in an almost dignified way. He stood there almost seeming to know that, that the other sheep, the prize-winning sheep, were off in some other tent, being petted and fawned over and fed. He stood there as if he somehow knew he could never be one of them, but that if he was going to survive, if he wanted to go on, he would have to put his shame on display for everyone else. That sheep couldn't afford to be ashamed, you see. He couldn't hide because he knew, just like the man holding the sign on the street corner, that the spectacle of his shame was all that was keeping him alive. That sheep knew that he was a helpless lamb, but he wasn't afraid to show it. Maybe that's what bothered my friend at the fair that night. I don't think he was mad at her for being mean to the sheep, the one with the birth defect. But maybe what really bothered him was that she seemed unable to relate to that little lamb, that she couldn't see herself in him. She couldn't see that she too was vulnerable, that she too was on display, that her own survival was dependent upon grace and mercy. Because that, brothers and sisters, is the way it is with God. You know, I believe that God does hear our prayers. I believe that God loves our prayers and God loves our worship and our rituals, and our songs. But as beautiful and symbolic and, and, and majestic as it all is, 
it comes to nothing if we don't remember who God is. Namely, that God himself was born under unfortunate circumstances. That he himself was poor and homeless. That he put his shame on display for everyone to see under his own sign that mocked him and shamed him. A sign not made of blinking lights or scribbled on cardboard, but a sign nailed to a cross. It didn't say freak animals. It said Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. No, what we have to remember is that Mary had a little lamb. And as long as we can see that little lamb in ourselves, as long as we can see that little lamb in all those that surround us, then our fleece will be as white as snow. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there you have it, folks. Little lambs. You know, I talk a lot about the importance of empathy, of being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, to do your best to understand their circumstances, their story, the way that they see the world, and how vital that is for love. But it's only part of the equation. It's a good part. It's that, that part of you that sees yourself in them and sees them in you. That's necessary. That, that leads to more compassion. But the Christian version of that also includes seeing Christ in them and seeing Christ in you. Because when you see them like that, whether they be poor and oppressed or rich and oppressive, um, when you see people like that, the whole world becomes your church. And everything you do becomes an act of communion. May the love of God, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you, now and always. Amen.